Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I have some other nerdy stuff to talk about at the end, but I'll let everybody know when the weekly normal stuff is over with, because I don't want to waste anybody's time. But let's jump in with the regular stuff, and maybe some of you will be interested in the discussions afterwards. First up, the company Retroflag has just released a dock controller for the Nintendo Switch that kind of turns it into something like a portable GameCube feel. So I guess another way to say it is it would be kind of like having GameCube Joy-Cons, and Shank did an awesome video on that a couple years ago, and of course other modders in the homebrew scene have taken that project even further and made their own iterations, and all of that was absolutely awesome, but those were all homebrew style projects that you kind of have to make yourself or at the very least make part of yourself, which it's not a dig to homebrew projects. I obviously love those, but it looks like Retro Flag has kind of had their own version of that that you could just now buy for 50 bucks. Um, it is something that is only designed to be used in portable mode. So this is for the Switch and Switch OLED. This kind of drops in the middle and it makes it look like a portable GameCube. But I don't believe there's any chance of this being used when connected to your TV, which I guess makes sense because if that was the case, you would probably just have a GameCube styled controller or something like that connected to it. Now, there is some very good news about this. The RetroFlag SNES and Genesis USB controllers were some of the lowest latency controllers that Pork from Mr. Add-ons had ever tested before. Those were extremely low latency, and that really just kind of gives me hope for this, because as long as the build quality is decent enough, as long as the analog sticks are good, then this should be something that's absolutely awesome for people that want to play their Switch, but with like a GameCube feel to it. Uh, the only thing to note is that my buddy Ed said that you need to make sure your Switch has wired connections enabled for Pro Controllers, otherwise this won't work. So it's one of those small things, it's not a negative or a positive, you just gotta know, and if you're like me and you skip the instructions and just try to use something first, you might miss it. My friend's dad was an engineer and he used to say, engineers write the instructions, we don't read them. And unfortunately, I think he just rubbed off on me a little too much. So uh, yeah, overall, I think this is a very cool, uh, a very cool design, a neat option. But most importantly, I think the price of 50 bucks is great. And also the fact that you get it from Amazon means if it turns out to be trash, you could always return it. But so far, people seem to have liked it. So please check out the post and the links if you're interested. 
Next up, Robert Dale Smith from ControllerAdapter.com has just opened no-pay pre-orders on a USB controller adapter for the Nuon. So the price will be $60 plus shipping, and it should be due to ship around springtime of this year. But right now, it's more of an interest check. You put your name into the website, your name and email address, and you'll get notified when it's time for purchase, which is kind of like a happy medium. That way, you know you're always getting in on it. You're not going to miss the purchase, but you don't have to drop cash now which also means that if something happens and Robert takes till summer instead of springtime to finish these off, then, you know, you can't really get mad because no one has your money. So I think that's kind of a perfect happy medium. Now, Robert was also the person that did the controller adapters for other consoles like the 3DO and the PC Engine that all work very well. So this is one of these things where if you are one of the, you know, nine people that own a Nuon, kidding, of course, there's a, now a, a, a a kind of growing Nuon homebrew scene, which is amazing, but the controllers, the original controllers themselves are more than twice the price of this at minimum. Uh, new controllers are probably three or four times the price of this adapter. So this is one of those things where if you have a Nuon and you want to play the library, uh, then this is something you should seriously consider. Now, this will also work with a, temp with a spinner controller for Tempest 3000, which for me personally, I really like that game, and it would be, if I could find everything at a reasonable price, it would certainly be worth picking up a Nuon, this adapter, in a spinner in order to play Tempest, which a lot of people think that's crazy, but how many of us spend far more than that on one arcade board to play one game? So, you know, respectfully, I think if, you, if you're one of these crazy people that wants to buy something for one game, have at it, as long as, you know, as long as it's all meant in a happy way, so... There are current and future features planned. Uh, there's a bunch of compatibility lists if it's something that you want to check out. And I believe there's also going to be a controller adapter released uh, in a couple of weeks that's meant for N64 controllers to hear, which is great because it's sort of competition, but it's not competition. If you were somebody that really just wanted to play only the N64 controller on your Nuon, then wait for the other adapter. We'll get a post out at, at the very least a week before the pre-orders open. But if you're like me and you want to use any other controller except the N64 controller, then this is the one for you. So I love that there's choices. I love that it's, it's kind of everybody's going down their own path with this. And definitely check out the post if you want more info. This week's roundup is once again sponsored by JLC PCB, and I kind of took a break working on the PCB plus assembly project that we were talking about, the SCART cleaner, mostly because it's also a holiday over, over in China, and I don't want to start firing off email after email trying to fix things when most people are probably on vacation. So instead of talking about that project, which we will circle back to because I really want to finish that, I just wanted to once again show the factory tour so anybody watching on video could see exactly what it's like when you place your PCB plus assembly order. So while I've never been to an assembly facility as state-of-the-art and massive as JLC PCBs, I have been to these places and I could kind of show you what's going on. First, here's their component preparation section. So whenever you do your assembly order and you ask for components, this is where they pull them from. And I imagine this is probably also where they scan in parts that you have sent to them so that for larger orders, if you have stuff that you wanted them to add to it. Now, here is the solder paste application where they take the stencils, which I showed how those work a couple times in this podcast, but they run the solder paste through the stencils so that it goes only on the components that you need to solder stuff to. So it's imagine a perfectly green motherboard where the solder paste are only on the pads that components go to. 
Then it goes through an inspection station to make sure that that paste didn't leak off onto other stuff. And then into the pick and place machine, which is probably the coolest thing you could look at in assembly facilities like this, because they take tiny little components and place them exactly where they need to be on the motherboard based on that file that you generate in your PCB software. So that's the assembly file that you have to upload whenever I show those. And it's just so cool to watch these machines go so quickly and put these components in the exact correct place. Next, they go through the heater where they're reflowed. And this is basically what takes that solder paste, heats it up, and has it so that they stick to the board and don't come off. So it's like hand soldering, but through a machine. And then of course it goes through the inspection station to make sure everything worked. And then any manual assembly like a SCART connector, if you were making quantities of a hundred would get hand soldered here. So overall, this is just a very quick way to go through exactly how this manufacturing process works. And it doesn't really do it justice, but I wanted to talk through both for people listening audio only and show people who are watching this as a video, just because I think if you haven't ever seen anything like this in person, it is kind of fascinating to see how it works. One of these days too, I want to do a video on how wave soldering works, because that's just super impressive and I could stare at that machine all day long. So as promised before, next week we're going to start to swing back around to see what went wrong with the SCART Cleaner project and what mistakes I made and how you could fix them if you run into similar stuff with your projects. Just a very quick update, that NES to Famicom controller adapter that I talked about a few weeks ago is back in stock at MrAddons.com. I guess I had misunderstood Pork and how much stock he had before I posted that video. So I guess I posted the social media stuff a little bit prematurely, but I just reposted it over on YouTube Shorts. And uh, as soon as it went into, you know, back into stock and it should still have stock now, uh, please check out the previous post and the demo on every social media or YouTube that I, I have if you want more info, but basically lets you use NES controllers on a Famicom, including the Zapper. And it's just a well-built controller adapter. So there's no magic. It's not gonna make uncompatible games, incompatible games suddenly compatible. It's uh, it's just gonna do what it's supposed to do. And I mean that with, with nothing but positivity, because I guess the quick history was that there were a bunch of these adapters made over the years that didn't have the correct pinout and you couldn't use the zapper. This one you can. So it's a very, very strong opinion that if you have a Famicom and you have any chance of wanting to use a zapper or an NES controller, this is the one to buy. It's $12.50 plus shipping. So uh, definitely give this post and works uh, MrAddons.com uh, a look if this is something you're interested in. This one is very neat for people who are fans of older PCs. Developer J.H. Howard over on GitHub has posted a new modern engine rewrite of Wolfenstein 3D that runs on older computers, including with ones with CGA graphics or Tandy mode graphics. So, you know, this is just one of those things that I love because do we need this? Of course not. But how awesome is it that it exists? And if this is one of those things where maybe you'll load up your Tandy 1000 computer and play this through to the end, or maybe you'll load it up and give this a shot on emulation, but it's just so neat to see what people today can do with previous platforms that no one thought was possible back when those platforms were mainstream. I just think it's so impressive. I absolutely love seeing projects like this. And while probably half the people listening are rolling their eyes going like, this is neat, but you know, is this a post? Is anybody going to be using it? Yeah, enough people are, are as 
weirdly nerdy as I am that listen to this that I think I wanted to write this up. And I asked Reese to because, of course, he knows infinitely more about older PCs than I do. So thanks to Reese. Thanks to J.H. Howard for doing this. And if you're an old PC fan, just give this thing a shot. How cool is that? Now a bunch of stores are selling Mike Simone's latest iteration of the S-Video and composite adapters for the Mister. These are the ones that do not convert the signal. These require the custom cores, which you could just get by enabling that in Update All. And as long as you run those cores and you toggle the option after it's booted, you could get native composite and S-Video out of most cores on the Mister. And this is all because Mike Simone did both the hardware design, but also has patched, manually patched, each individual core on Mr. in order to make this work. So this is just a massive undertaking and so cool that Mike was able to do this. In the last live stream that Lewis and I did about it, I thought it was great. The only reason I didn't do a post like this about it is because not all of the, the major Mr. Sellers had them in stock. And that's one of those things where, you know, while I certainly appreciate the hand-built lower volumes and please keep doing them as long as you do them with, you know, good quality builds, of course, this is the type of thing where I think so many people would like it. I wanted to hold off until there was stock to purchase. And that's exactly what happens now. Mr. Add-ons, Ultimate Mr. and Antonio all have versions available. Um, just double check each of the versions to make sure that they're the latest. No disrespect to the other stores, but uh, the latest versions are the ones that worked by far the best for me with the LumaTrap built in and the two switches on it. PAL NTSC and Direct Video or IO Board, I think were the two choices on there. And it works great. Um, you know, I believe there's a bunch of people that did videos on it. So if you want more information, definitely check out Lewis's post here. It should summarize absolutely everything that you need to know about it. But there's also a video from Lou, Lou's Retrosource. Lewis did a video and then Lewis and I did two very long, boring live streams that I would strongly recommend that you watch all of those other videos instead of that. But if you wanted the in the moment deep dive, you know, the latest one that we did has this one in action live in real time. And uh, I just I think this is absolutely awesome because so many of us out there have incredible flat panel TVs that you love using your mister on and you're able to pick up an awesome composite video only CRT. And it's kind of hard to figure out how to get to composite from all of these different things. And just being able to use this and have patched cores, I think is amazing. And I think is a great solution. So uh, check out Lewis's post for more info. But you know, if you have a mister and a composite video CRT, this might be the time to jump on this and see what you think. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just put out an awesome video about 
a PS2 Ultra Slim, which is a homebrew project from BitBuilt Forum member Wesk that takes the PS2 Slim motherboard, removes the optical drive from it, and puts it into a really nice case that you could have 3D printed, 3D print it yourself, you could have it made some places, and it turns it into something that's basically just a digital media PlayStation 2 only. And I absolutely love this project. I do wish that there was a version that you didn't have to trim the motherboard. Um, this is one of those things where if you ever wanted to put it back in an original PlayStation, you probably could. Um, there would have to be some very careful patching up done on it. But, you know, I like reversible mods better than non-reversible mods. But as far as stuff like this goes, I think it's absolutely awesome. The only thing that I want to add to this, you know, and Tito did an awesome job as usual, but the video focused on using SD card storage. And I do want to remind everybody that you could very easily just run RetroNAS or the video that, um, that Tito already did about connecting a Raspberry Pi directly to the network port of a PS2. You could just use that. So you don't need to have the memory card addition at all. You can just boot to Freemic boot with a memory card and then run everything through the network port and back. That's definitely how I would do it. Um, but they're, you know, it's, the way they did it isn't wrong by any means. It's just, I kind of prefer the network way a lot more. And I think in most cases, if you were to try it yourself, you'd probably agree. Not all cases, which is why I love that there's different options out there. Uh, but the way Wesk built this, you don't have to put the SD card reader in at all. You can just leave it off and it still looks awesome and nothing seems out of place. So very, very awesome project. Um, you know, really no complaints other than would be cool if you didn't have to cut it. But, you know, this is just watch Tito's video if you want to do something like this yourself. Be very, very patient on the cutting part. And this is something that I think you would enjoy. But uh, honestly, very, very cool video. Very cool project. And it's just fun to kind of see stuff like this, you know, come about now all these years later. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these unless I feel like word vomiting some of my thoughts on it. Uh, and if you want to see more details about all of this stuff, please check out Lou's post. First up, the PCXT Core has upgraded its MDA graphics support to the Hercules graphics, but you still have the option to use CGA and Tandy if you would like to. Next, City41 on GitHub has developed an open source app that could, on your PC... PC, Mac OS, and Linux, download, filter, and or organize the arcade cores however you want, which is something that depending on how you use your mister, you might think, ah, it's fine as is, why do I need that? Or if you really want a more curated way of getting the ROMs and you just want to use your mouse and keyboard to, to do that, this is amazing. So thank you very much, City41. Next, Anton Gale has released a core for Perfumon, a top-down action arcade game. Anton also started extracting the elevator action schematics, um, which is, you know, Anton's obviously done a bunch of cores, so it's still the beginning phase, but something that we could hopefully expect at some point. Um, next, there's more updates to the PlayStation Core, including the 480p hack now supporting 512 interlaced PAL content, which is very cool. Um, Truxton 2 has had some updates, including a stereo toggle and a toggle for fast scrolling, and an option to fix a sprite warping bug that was on the original hardware. <clears throat> so this is one of those things where if you want accurate to the original, leave it as is. If you want what may be perceived as a slightly better experience, toggle it, but it's a free option. Toggle it, see if you like it. Also, stereo is awesome, and I'm really interested to see how any of you are doing stereo mods 
to your arcade cabinets. Because if you're using it hooked up to a monitor or a stereo or whatever else, then it's you know, no big deal. You just use your stereo outputs. But how do people with things like Mr. Cades or the Retro Castle one do it? Do you just do a completely different solution? Do you take optical out to like a amplifier or something like that or left and right audio and, and just go directly to the speakers? I don't know. That's a pretty interesting one, but I'd love to hear all your opinions. Um, also, the following Toa Plan 2 arcade games are going to be worked on and the order they'll be released is fix eight knuckle bash v5 and Doggin. i'm sure i've pronounced at least one of those wrong um and also track 17 is working with pramod and to on the most recent work to reverse engineer the midway z and y units which are great because that allows pramod to also work on things um, like possibly Terminator 2, the light gun game, which I would love to see arcade light gun games on Mr. If there are already any and I forgot about it, I, my apologies. But Pramod's also working on Smash TV and NARC, which are awesome. Uh, and lastly, Hotego has just released a beta for the arcade game Wonder Planet, which is a vertically scrolling shooter. And that's the final game that's part of the JT Karnov core, which means it's probably going to be a public release soon enough. So as always, thank you so much to Lou for keeping up with all of these. Uh, you know, it's just so helpful for all of us. And please like, subscribe to Lou's channel, do all of the things that you're supposed to do for YouTube people, because uh, it's just really nice that we're able to have all of this stuff, both in a video and written out in this post. Kaitor Industries has just offered a $5 SCART snap clamp. And I really liked it, but there's some things to point out and not everybody will need this. So let me just start with the easy one and then you could drop off after this if you don't care. But basically, if you have something like a SCART cable going from your console or your switch to a SCART to BNC adapter connected to your monitor, then it's probably at least once since you've owned it, you've probably turned on your monitor and a color is missing or worse, sync is missing and you're wondering what the heck happened and then you just realize that the connector has kind of backed itself off a hair. Well, this is meant to solve that. So as long as your SCART heads are the right size and shape for these braces, you slide these over them, you snap everything together and this very snugly in a good way not over snug keeps them solid and together so you don't have to worry about that happening there's two orientations there's one so it almost makes it like a straight line going across and there's other that's more of a u-shaped if you need to wrap it around or something like that but for a five dollar device i think it's awesome i think if you're somebody that has that problem you should probably just buy it and see if it works for you because at that price why not um but i did run into issues but and, you know, here's where you could drop off, right? If you don't need this, with all respect, there's nothing after this that's, you know, retro RGB direct related. But here's kind of the thing that bugs me about doing these reviews. I really have 99% good things to say about this, but I got to point out what I ran into. And it's just unfortunate in life that when you ask somebody their opinion about something good, it's so often a couple of sentences because you could get that picture painted for you. Whereas when you talk about things that you ran into that might be negative, you want to get the details out so people know what to expect. So it ends up sounding like it's a negative review and it's absolutely not. So I just want to warn that, uh, first of all, if your cables aren't exactly the right size and shape, then it'll still keep them together but you might still get some separation of the connectors if you kick the cable, bump the cable, whatever. So that's one of those things where the, you know, 
10-year-old Scar to BNC adapter I got from Retro Access, or maybe six years old or something like that, or from Retro Gaming Cables, didn't fit as snugly as the Retro Access, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's going to be for you. If you bought the latest version of either of those cables, maybe they're going to fit perfect. So it's just something that you, you kind of need to expect. You know, do you have the bigger size Scar heads? Is there a smaller sized one there? Do, are the tabs going to grab onto the grips the proper way? It's just one of those things that, you know, maybe if you had a Wookiee Win cable, it's perfect. Or last year's RGC cable, it's perfect. But the 2015 one isn't. You just kind of have to have realistic expectations. Also, this is a 3D printed design. And I am a giant meathead. So I broke the tabs. I first broke the tab when I used a screwdriver to what I thought was lightly pull it back as I pulled the brace apart because they ship connected so that the pieces are together, make it safer for shipping. That makes total sense, by the way. But I first, uh, if you're watching on video, the tab on the right, I broke just by trying to separate the two. And then after I had gotten the connectors, uh, after I'd done the review, taking the pictures and all that stuff, and I needed my SCAR cables back, I couldn't get them apart. And I ended up breaking all of them off by accident. And I didn't like, I didn't intend to just grab it and tear it apart i i just every one of them i ended up nudging off and they cracked so i was like well if they already cracked i'll just i'll pull them up to make it easier to get the scar heads out and to show everybody so i honestly think though that's kind of how these things are designed i mean that as a compliment like a five dollar item that's meant to keep a scar cable in place and never move is not an item that's supposed to be designed to be constantly removed. If you needed to constantly remove it, you wouldn't have bought it in the first place. So hopefully all this stuff is coming out positive because I mean it that way. I think if you have the use case of my, my setup is solid. I don't want to change anything, but I keep bumping into this cable or occasionally I'll just turn on my PVM and red's missing or something. Then this is definitely worth your time. If you're like me and you never have the same setup twice, don't buy it because it's just, there's no point, but you probably would have already thought that anyway. So zero negativity or disrespect to Kytor. I think it's a cool product that if you think you need it, you should just buy it and give it a shot. Uh, Kytor has a video on it that uh, you could just kind of see the, uh, how to, you know, how to properly assemble it and disassemble it. But it's just one of those things that I had to warn you on the other side. So always so annoying when I have to do reviews like this that I really mean to be positive, but I got to point out the negative stuff. So I, I have a feeling that if you sat through this whole five minute rant, you probably know if this is for you or not. And you're probably okay with everything I said anyway. So um, very cool stuff. And I think it would be a big help to some people's setups. So all of the usual retro RGB stuff is done. There's two things that I wanted to talk about a little bit, if you're interested. And the first one is my workflow for recording this video, the Q&A, and how I at least edit the interviews that I do with people. And I wanted to share this for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, the only reason I was able to even get this far in doing all of this editing with zero experience and training before I started doing retro RGB was because of you. Some of you amazing people who watch this and listen have given me tips over the years and have helped me out and they've been super patient. And this is really all of your work culminated in how I could try to streamline my weekly stuff. And I'm always trying to get better every time I do it. And the, you know, the two things that are huge for me, first, how much time it takes to do all of this stuff. Because if something takes 20 steps, but the whole thing's done in 30 minutes, versus something that only takes three steps, but it takes two hours, 
no, I need to as fast as possible. Otherwise, I just wouldn't have the time to get these videos done. Because what I didn't show is how long it takes to record these segments, all that you have to do for follow-up and promotion and dealing with algorithm stuff. What I'm showing in this video is really a quarter, if not less, but I still need to make it as efficient as possible. Also, I wanted to be able to share tips for anybody else that might want to do something similar because I wanted to kind of, you know, pass the buck along. People who had taken the time to teach me things, now I would like to pass that along. But if you do use any tips, just know that it might not apply to your setup, even if it does apply to mine. The things that I do want to get a little bit better, I always want to get audio better, always, because... I don't care if this is just a podcast of me talking, if there's pops and clicks and hisses in the background, or if you have to turn up or turn down the volume, or if there's nasally and plosives and all that stuff is really annoying. And I've heard some high-end podcasts, some funded podcasts that have so many more listeners than this that they just fail miserably. And it's it's not that hard. It just takes a lot of time and trial and error. So I'm going to continue to do that. And also, I have read every single comment and every tip that was given, I have put into like a spreadsheet, and I'm going to use some of those tips to experiment on the uh, the Q&A on Friday. I actually was planning on doing it today, I just had no extra time to spend on that. Also, coincidentally enough, the stream professor himself just put out an update video about doing audio processing in real time for your streams. So... I'm thinking maybe for the Q&A, while I'm definitely taking all of your tips and and trying those to see, I also want to see if I could implement all of EposVox's tips for the weeklies. For the interviews, I definitely think just recording raw into a microphone and processing after is better because if anything happens, if I have to chop it up and edit in different sections, I think it's best to leave that, especially because those usually run longer. So if there's errors and, and pops, I don't want people having longer time listening to those. But I, I want to try them both. So, you know, everybody who has given me tips from from my life in gaming, John Lenneman and Joe Ryder for years ago, I've been using all of those tips to even Duke just spent a ton of time. Uh, and the, I just am reading every word of all of it and I'm absorbing it and trying to get better. And I also want to try to do the same exact editing workflow with DaVinci Resolve. So if you're an expert in DaVinci, maybe take a look at that part of this video and see if I can. Because the three, four times over the past five or six years that I've tried to use DaVinci for the weeklies, I, I it took three or four times as long. I just, I couldn't do any of the drag and drops. I had to sometimes re-encode video. It was a giant pain. So any tips or feedback or any of that other stuff, please let me know. I know this is not a video that most of you would have wanted to see, but any creators out there probably would would dig it. So don't worry, I'll get back to interviews and other nerdy retro videos soon, but I just wanted to share this one. Does anybody out there want to give Zelda 2 some love? And I had a thought about that the other day, all sparking from a conversation with Clint Cronin about how he liked Zelda 2 and he, he sent me the Redux version. And I had this idea, but I need to just start out by saying I am nowhere near smart enough to execute on this. I, I understand how much time and effort something like this would take, but there are amazing people out there who work on stuff like this. And I just wanted to ask, is anybody working on this? Is this a cool idea? Am I being stupid? That's totally fine if the answer is yes. But how about taking something like the A Link to the Past Super Metroid randomizer and taking all the tools that are out there for SNES hacking for those games, as well as something like Project Nested that converts NES ROMs to SNES 
and trying to make a version of Zelda 2 where all the top-down stuff is BS Zelda style. So kind of like, you know, a 16-bit version of that. And then all of the side-scrolling stuff uses the Super Metroid engine and you replace the graphics and sprites. Is that even doable? Is that something where like, yeah, it's totally possible, Bob, but it's going to take $10,000, 10,000 hours and you're a complete ass for asking this. That's fine. Feel f free to completely flame me in the comments for this. I understand that this could be a monumental ask, but I also just wanted to put it out there because I know so many people that have been working on little projects over the years that don't really talk about them. So maybe somebody's already worked on something like this, or maybe somebody has the tools to do so. Or maybe the tools are already out there and no one's just done it yet. And one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I've thought about that a million times. Let me just do it. So <clears throat> I just know that Zelda 2 does not get much love. I have tried to play it a couple times in my life and I just couldn't. From my childhood all the way up till a couple of years ago, it just didn't suck me in. And I don't know why. And I just think, hey, maybe taking some of the two best SNES games ever made and which are similar in gameplay to those two parts of the game and kind of jamming that storyline and the graphics and the gameplay into that, maybe that's going to be a help. Maybe that would make it better. Or maybe I just wasted two and a half minutes of everybody's time. I don't know. So I wanted to float the idea. So once again, and most especially, all of the love and respect in the world to the people who take the time to do these ROM hacks. I think you're all amazing. I am not as smart as you are. I'm not implying that you have to do this. I'm just floating the idea out there because I thought it was a neat idea and I thought my fellow nerds might want to have the discussion with me. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible, because it is you who is keeping all of this stuff going. The monthly support services are probably the most help, but also just clicking on the Amazon and eBay links and buying the same stuff at the same price is also a massive help and a big contribution to keeping everything going. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>